Hello, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. I'm Craig Campbell. I own Nerd Burger Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games, too, here in the confessional booth that we all are, where we talk about what we do and why we're on this podcast. And let's pass it over to our guest, Jeff uh, same to you. What do you got? <laughs> Hi, I'm Jeff Batone, and uh, I'm a tabletop game designer. I publish the game Boldly Go, and you can find me at jeffquest.com. Uh, All right. Thank you for coming on the show again. Good to have you back. Great to be back. And today we have a set of topics that, unlike our last our last episode, there wasn't a lot of crossover uh, between GMing advice and game design advice. This one, I feel like it's going to have quite a bit of crossover. Um, our For our GMing topic today, we are talking about creating NPCs and lore that the players will actually care about. So <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite thing to do as a GM, to be honest. Um, Craig, do you want to go ahead and get us plunging into this topic? Um. Yeah, uh, I think the the thing that you know all of us as gms anybody who gms um ultimately wants the players to have a great experience and you you as the gm you want to have a great experience as well um and one of the you know unique things about um any form of fiction um is that you can have characters that you identify with and that you care about and that there are stakes that the characters are are up against and they're they're overcoming challenges that we all kind of understand um, and that just immerses you more in, um, in, in, in the storytelling. And so any form of storytelling that embraces that um, and on as deep a level as you can get to, um, I think is probably just more fulfilling for um, the people who are experiencing that. And with like movies, TV and the like, it's, you know, I, I imagine that a lot of actors find it very fulfilling to play characters that have a great deal of depth and that the, the, the fans really care about. And there's a lot of care put into them. Um, and then the, the people who are watching it, um, you know, care, as we talked about, uh, as I mentioned, um, but with role-playing games, like you, you are, we are all uniquely the, uh, the, the, the actors, you know, the performers, and also the uh, the audience um, outside of, you know, unless you're watching an actual play stream or something like that, where you're just the audience. But when, when you're playing at the table yourself, you're both. And so how can we uh, as GMs help facilitate um, having everybody care, like become invested in uh, in what we're we're creating? Jeff, tell us about your interest in this topic. Uh, so I'm I'm interested in this topic for a couple of reasons. One, I always like to, I think having memorable characters always, always makes for a memorable game because it's like something I read in the second edition Player's Handbook for D&D a long time ago is they, they won't remember the fight with the dragon or the gold that they got, but they will remember when the dwarf fighter tried to introduce himself, bowed, tripped on his beer and fell in the vat of wine. And <laughs> and so I, I want to do that so that it's more interesting for the players and then they get to play off of the characters that they're interested in so that there's, you know, more fun for me. But also kind of tangentially, I also write fiction. And so learning how to create memorable NPC characters is also, like you mentioned, watching a movie or, or a stage play or reading a book or whatever. It's like you want to have a character that for whatever reason everybody or most people are like yeah that one we like that one let's talk about that character yeah character is such it's like one of the pillars of fiction writing in general you have your you have your setting you have your plot with your conflict you have your um then you have your characters like that you need them to be there otherwise the story doesn't happen their interactions are what really actually should be setting stuff in motion especially with a with a role playing game it is about the roles we don't uh, that i feel like is really the most important thing for a, a game in in general and of course the players are going to be making their own characters that are going to feel powerful and unique to them 
often and I think it's okay. There will be kind of self inserts into your game, especially if you have um, inexperienced players. So that means you need some, you need to have like some of those uh, typical characters that you would find in your fiction writing. Maybe you have some foils to the player characters. Oh, this is, this is the loner type of character. And like maybe this whole, maybe you're playing with some teenagers and they all, you know, they're all testing out the loner type archetype. Um, maybe then you have an NPC that's super friendly and bubbly and awesome and really wants to get them involved and really cares about them. And maybe that will draw out those personal personality traits from them. So you can really steal some of the, like you said, Jeff, you can really steal some of the fiction writing um, uh, tools to put into your GMing toolbox to create those characters that will really be a good match for the PCs. Yeah, yeah, I def I definitely agree with that. And I think I think if you can figure out I mean, because because it's a game, you know, and it's everything about a role playing game is reciprocal. So if you find something that's interesting to them and they respond to it, then it's interesting for you and the game world becomes richer and the game becomes a lot more memorable. So even just a, a really simple, simple story like go dungeon, kick door, grab treasure, becomes like, oh my God. And then we got into this fight and da, 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 da. And do you remember when we were all brooding in the tavern and she came over and she was amazing. And then she was a wizard, and da, you know, and stuff. And that that's what like when, when, you know, 20 years later, you're like, yeah, I remember that game. That was a good game. <laughs> yeah, that or, jerk. Right? Or yeah, that jerk. I was just going to say, <laughs> maybe not the amazing NPC, but the asshole that everyone loves to hate. That's my right. favorite NPC. Because that's how you can be antagonistic toward the players in a socially acceptable manner. <laughs> yes. Like, that does, I mean, it takes a little bit of work, but having having a character that you can throw witty, sarcastic remarks to the players at with is, it's going to motivate them like nothing else. That person, they're going to want to kill them. They're going to want to steal all their stuff. They will do anything. And you can use the reverse psychology trick on them. You can, they, will, they will do anything to hate that character in general oh yeah and then it's the gary oak of your game you need a gary <laughs> you need a gary <laughs> craig you got any you have any memorable characters from your campaigns that you've played or run that you really found to stand out oh boy um there there was there was a wizard character that my friend joe played who managed to die and be resurrected multiple times in really really entertaining ways um and it was always built with this uh you know and the character was and, and just as a gm you like you could create a character that was like this you could you could create an npc that had like some of these qualities and i'm just doing this as a player um, a player's character um who uh you know was this really overblown, like thought he was going to be like the greatest wizard that the world has ever known. And the only way he gets, ends up being able to have that opportunity is by having to be resurrected constantly because he's always screwing up and he's getting himself killed. And then there was the time, you know, and then, then one time when, you know, he really should have, he was in a situation where he really should have been killed and he miraculously did not get killed. <laughs> Um, and so like, you know, flipping the, the trope on its head, on, on its ear and, and, uh, uh, you know, deconstructing and having it, um, you know, kind of twist the other way. And that's something that you can use as a GM all the time is just, you know, um, characters, NPCs, um, aren't going to necessarily always be consistent, consistently presented. You can have depth and you can have things where, you know, the character is this way a lot and you, you, you find this personality quirk or this, this hook to their, their involvement in the story. That's very, very important and big, you know, big deal. And it makes the, you know, makes the character seem to be important to everything that's happening. And that makes the players want to kind of interact with that character and potentially protect them if they're, if it's like a benevolent character. Um, and then, but then every so often, if you put in a little something that makes them think, well, maybe this person isn't quite what we thought they were, or, you know, like it's the human experience of like, you know, we, we don't always know what everything is. There's always characters develop um, just, just as your players' characters will develop over time. You can have your NPCs develop over time. They can have, you know, a re secret re revealed that this character did something really reprehensible at some point, this character that everybody loves. Like, and you're not necessarily taking away the player's love for that character but you're making them human enough to recognize oh this is like a like 
you know, Craig has created this character. The GM has created this character like a real person, like, you know, like they, they have some skeletons in their closet. They, you know, so there's a lot, there's a lot of things you can do that. I mean, it's really, for me, it's been always kind of like just drawing upon what people are really like, what human beings are really like, um, and instilling that in some shape or form into the characters that you create, thinking about what the world is like or has been like historically, and then what you've seen in, you know, historical novels or in fantasy stories or whatever type, you know, science fiction stories, um, and, and, and instilling those things in there, um, you know, and, you know, I, I'm a big proponent. I think people pick this up from a lot of what I talk about and from my games that like I steal liberally and, and homage to movies and TV shows that I like. And that's because, you know, like that's my touchstone for like creating an interesting game or creating and when I'm GMing that game or a game like it, creating in interesting um, story elements or NPCs is to, to build it off of, you know, um, the world uh, that I know um, or the things that other people have created by examining the world that they know, because everybody has different experiences. So somebody might create something that's like, I would have never thought to like do that from my own experience, but this is an interesting perspective on something. So it's, there's so much of it for me, for this question that we're, that we're looking at here is just, you know, looking at the world and people and, and, and other art that people have created that draw upon uh, other experiences and just kind of putting that into um what you're creating and then doing it within kind of the realm of what the game is about you know different games have different themes and so there's certain things you might focus on more in certain games that, because uh you can't necessarily put all of the complexity of a human being into an npc but you can put enough that uh that fits this you know plays that plays nicely with what you're trying to do in that particular game I think also then that connects to the lore too, because you want to make sure that the the players that the players, the characters that you're making, your non-player characters, have a connection to the overall lore that you have in some way. It doesn't have to be; they don't have to be super integral. They don't have to be the chosen one or anything. You can leave that to the to be one of the PCs, but give them a motivation within that world, and use them to like be the catalyst for new plot points for new plot hooks or whatever it is so if your if your world is filled with like eldritch beings and all this kind of stuff have have a little scientist researcher who's like really trying to look into stuff it is kind of bumbling accidentally into all of these um maddening topics and all you guys want to do all the players want to do is protect this this poor little researcher from having their mind entirely exploded or <laughs> If it's a romance game, you have somebody who has an unrequited love. You could do a whole Cyrano de Bergerac story. Like you're writing letters and sending them on their behalf. You're like really trying to get them set up. Give them, give the players not to stake within their own stories and their own motivations, but let make them care about the motivations of the other characters in the story. And that's how you help them develop their own, their own personalities, their own player personalities, player character personalities, I mean vis-a-vis -vis these other characters and that's what gets them because now they have a personal connection to these to these other characters that's what gets them to care not just about those players but also about that those those characters parts of the world i keep confusing players and characters you guys are smart you can figure it out <laughs> i do the same thing i get it <laughs> yeah, don't kill your players yeah. don't kill yeah. your players <laughs> and <laughs> it's okay to kill characters yeah. not players Jeff, do you have a particularly like memorable character? I'm curious. Uh, so two two recents, and I actually wanted to, this this sort of I wanted to bring up this other thing is I could plan and plan and plan the types of characters that I'm going to have interacting with the players, but my players always tend to latch onto the and this is the common joke. It's like, what's that guy's name at the bar who has the bird on his shoulder? And it's like I just threw that. Okay, we'll figure something out. You know. So I had. Uh, they they were supposed to be two throwaway NPCs. There's a players come to this town. There's like all kinds of gambling and crime going on, and they meet these two layabouts, Jules and Jim. And Jules is like the sort of bitter, kind of more slightly more dangerous of the two, but still a doofus. And he's like, I'm gonna make money because I don't want to work, and I hate my job, and I'm gonna be rich. And then you're all gonna bow down to me because I'm great. And his friend Jim is this 
big kind of dumb hayseed who's like, oh, I don't want to work either if I don't have to, and I really like drinking, but uh, this seems a little extreme, you know? And so basically <laughs> the two of them wind up getting involved in the plot because because they're like, we want money and there's all this crime going on, so let's do some crime, and then the players have to bail them out. And I figured by the end of the game, the players would be like, okay, we're done with these guys. Let's Let's move on to the next thing. But they're like, no, no, no. We're adopting that. Uh, one of the players was a knight and he's like, these two guys need a direction in life. So I'm going to make them my squires and they're going to come with us. And they went with them for the rest of the adventure. They became major NPC characters. And it was funny because Jim was so, like, and I've noticed this, not just with this group of players, I play with players in general, players love the big friendly doofus stereotype. I think because they're just very, you know, likable and they hit things hard and they don't challenge the players too much intellectually because they're just like, yeah, I'll do what you tell me. And they're like, yeah, we love you. And so at one point, Jim got hit by something and fell over to fight. And everyone was like, oh, and meanwhile, <laughs> Jules was this like kind of bitter weasel who was lazy and always tried to get into work. And they all hated him. And one of the players hated him especially and so i was like okay <laughs> this is the rivalry and and so at one at one point they're like practically at one another's throats and they're like no 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 no, we can't we can't do this and jim's like please stop messing with jewels he's very sensitive <laughs> and and it was great because it was like here's these two characters that i had a sentence about these guys are the plot hooks and then they became I don't want to say nuanced because they were kind of sort of like one note stock characters more or less, but the players were like invested in their well-being and wanted to help them and wanted them to better themselves. Even the guy they didn't particularly like very much. And I just think that's sort of like circling back to what Craig said. I just think that's really fascinating about how characters work and also about how people work and what people see as important or valuable or worth protecting in real or fictional people it's just it's just a great dynamic that's also a good example of following the players leads because sometimes they are gonna chase after a squirrel that you did not intend to throw at them mm -hmm. but let that lead you let that lead you to investing in those characters instead sometimes a character that you think is super super rad uh turns out that no one else likes them you just have the <laughs> special affinity and you gotta kind of have to let that go you have to because it's not just about you. I mean, you can you can bring them back later if, if you're really having fun with them, but then don't issue the other uh, characters in the story that they do like, even if you like never intended them. Like you do have to be really flexible with that. And you can do uh you can do the advice that we were talking about in the last episode too, Craig, that you've mentioned. If if you thought this really rad character that no one ended up liking was really integral to the plot, just take some of their characteristics and sprinkle them into these other characters. Just kind of like chop them up, recycle them, use them as fertilizer, and and move on. Move on with the story. <laughs> Maybe if you really, like, you could write a story. Write a short story later with that character and, and feel satisfied. Actually, Jeff, your, your example of the two characters um, is great advice for just generally getting a, a character into the mix an NPC into the mix that the care that the players are going to care about is um, because especially, you know, if you as a GM want to have, I want to establish some NPCs that the characters um, are invested in so that I can do stuff with them so that I can have them suffer hardships and have the players care, or I can have them turn traitor, or I can have them need rescuing or, you know, whatever it is, um, is, you know, introduce, if the characters need to go to talk to somebody to get some information or whatever, and you want to introduce these character, this character, introduce multiple, give them two or three, give them very different personality traits um, so that they're distinct from each other. Um, and then see who the players gravitate toward um, rather than, you know, just kind of introducing a character at a time and hoping that at some point they, they catch on to somebody like you can, you can introduce multiple characters all at once and just like see who sticks um, and then that becomes like, okay, now all three of these characters were potential informants. This is the one that the players seem to really like, um, even though they're kind of a jerk. Maybe they just like the fact that they're, they're you know, kind of smarmy and a little bit of a jerk <laughs> and they find the way I play them entertaining. So I could take that now and, and continue to use that character and still kind of, you know, continue to be the smarmy jerk with them and have playful banter um, and have them be the information source. And then somewhere down the road, I can, you know, kill their family. 
<laughs> right for drama <laughs> or have something you know have something that's gonna you know drag the players into um uh drama or conflict that in that revolves around that npc um yeah i like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's kind of uh the i was i found myself thinking of of uh of mice and men you know yeah, who, do you, who, who do you like more, more george or, or lenny they're both right. eminently likable character but characters but everybody has their favorite up between george and lenny if you know the story well my favorite's slim so i guess, <laughs> I guess we're all different here <laughs> wow wow i sorry i've never heard anybody pick slim before that's that's Slim's, pretty awesome slim's the cool one he's like the <laughs> he's the sensitive guy yeah the cool, he has the cool long hair. he comes in his hair's all wet it's like the, i used to teach up mice and men <laughs> um, he's the best he's the best and then everyone can hate curly everyone absolutely detests him oh 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 yeah like you instantly hate him yeah because well, because you love lenny so much you're just like or it's just like oh that guy <laughs> yeah i mean that steinbeck is is eminently great for like characterization and and introducing characters in a way that automatically you know everything about this this character just from the very first few sentences that come out on the page about them you should probably lead into that too as a gm not as hard you don't need to go on a whole monologue about the character but get like introduce them what's striking about their appearance and then the first words that come out of their mouth should be something that tells you about their personality yeah, they have a bird on their shoulder and uh they i don't know they instantly hit you with an insult when they see your face or yeah or or they they're worried about what what lunch they're gonna have the next like something that will just tell the characters like oh here's their motivation here's what they're like give them like give them that a couple minutes just to get the feel of them if they hate them move on if they like um i I like what craig said too like about introducing a lot of different characters at once yeah setting up a situation where this can happen is important i think in the very first first session make sure that you're introducing at least some NPCs to, you know, flesh out the world, first of all, to make it feel like a real world. You can do that with the traditional, oh, we all meet in a tavern. Well, you guys aren't the only patrons probably, and there's at least going to be one worker, or maybe, uh, maybe there's a festival, or maybe you're all in a big caravan heading to wherever to a new town like you could you could set it up in a lot of variety of ways and then you could then then if you want the characters to go off on their own and have their own adventure just with the party you can then bring those characters back um the 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 non-player characters back at other times and kind of have them recall their first adventure like oh yeah that guy oh yeah that person um i think a really good example of that is I've been thinking about it ever since I said Gary Oak. The original Pokemon series, I think, does an amazing job of ha- like setting up characters and getting you to care about them right away and changing their motivations within the plot. So you have Professor Oak right away. You have this recurring character who Ash can come back to and get advice from. I think every, personally, I think every campaign should have a Professor Oak. You have somebody who can be the, oh, they're stuck. They need some help. Let me help them out. You need somebody like that. You need the, you need the Gandalf. You need, you need like a, you need a wise character that, that knows more than the players do. It's kind of your stand-in as the GM. Uh, You need a rival who is going to be so untouchable from you that like, this is like a goal way down the line. You hate this person with a passion and they keep coming back and just rubbing it in your face throughout the entire campaign. You need uh, some, some bumbling bad guys. So you need a team rocket who everyone loves. They're so outrageous and flamboyant. I think that that's super necessary. And you need uh, like along the way, you can turn enemies into friends. Like Misty starts off being like an incredible enemy. So does Brock. Like they're enemies to Ash and then they become best friends that come back and help them. And then of course other like, you know, one note recurring characters. You have Officer Jenny, you have Nurse Joy. They're just people that you can expect to see very invariably. They're just like they're they're NPCs that every once in a while will have a cool plot hook, but you can at least always fall back on them at various points in the story. I think if you're familiar with the Pokemon anime at all, just steal those <laughs> tropes. I, yeah, I think they're... that they are universal. 
um, I find myself thinking about, you know, based on some of the some of the things that each of you said, too, which was and combining that, too, with um, I made the comment about, um, uh, you know, kind of fitting the NPCs into the game that you're doing, right? Whatever the game is about or whatever, like, subset of things and thematic things that the players want to explore in the game. Like, you could be playing a game that could be set, you know, whatever. It could be any game, could be, you know, any any genre. Um, but one of the things that the players are interested in doing is, um, exploring like romantic relationships, having their characters have romantic relationships, maybe with NPCs, maybe with people in the party, uh, within the party or, or having their own sorted romantic pasts that are like instrumental to their characters and why they make decisions the way they do. Um, because those, those sorts of things, you know, influence our decision making like we decide on like how how much how many risks we want to take will often be you know um influenced by like times in the past that we've taken risks and it's not worked out and whether or not we've dealt with that well um and then so you're playing this game and so you you can the players can model behavior for you and you can model the behavior for the for the players which is they've got the npc the, the characters that are you know have all these aspects of romance that are happening different things so now all of a sudden in your game world every other npc that they meet has some romance aspect to them they are with a significant other or they are married or they are in the process of splitting up or they have a, a romantic rival or they're dating too many people or their parents disapprove <laughs> or whatever it is so that like because the players want want a game that explores those things, you're giving them a world that just gives them all sorts of examples of the things that they want to explore. And so they can use those as inspiration for their own characters. And they also feel more invested in everything they're, they're dealing with, with the NPCs because the NPCs are going through the same sorts of things that they're, you know, presenting uh, as challenges and, and, uh, and, and character quirks for their characters because they've decided as a, the players want to explore that so like give that to them in the world as well and they are being impacted by the plot in the same ways so don't don't forget that these characters presumably have a life beyond when the player characters leave their sides so if the players like one when, when to get like to really flesh out the lore too the lore that they care about show them the impacts that their decisions or indecisions have on the player on the characters the other characters in the story too like oh yeah you just you just slayed the dragon how does that improve or better the lives of the villagers or worsen them in in ways and that gets them thinking more about their their own decisions within the plot too just like like the interpersonal relationships like oh this makes me think about my romance options because i'm i'm meeting with the the tavern keeper who is trying to like trying to get a romantic situation started the the overall plot should do the same thing just on a bigger scale are we ready to talk about this from the from the game design aspect or do we have some final thoughts on jamming this is this has become a, a kind of a, a go-to <laughs> comment for me but you know be okay with failing like be okay like you might introduce something that just doesn't hook um and there's nothing that says you can't try again. Um, and uh, uh, you can, you know, shift the importance of that character that you were planning to make something, make into something because the, but the players didn't really latch onto them. They don't seem to be invested in them. They never go asking how the character is. They never try to meet the character again. Um, you can always, you can always move that stuff around. Um, and uh, uh, having, it's, it's okay for things to go, to come in and out as well. Like you could have NPCs that, are very important and um, are, you know, the, the players care about them and everything and they're there for a while and then they're not. And maybe they come back, but maybe they don't because people come in and out of others' lives all the time. And that makes the world feel more real too because even if they aren't getting a chance to interact with that NPC anymore, they may still be thinking about them. They may still be, you know, the, and the, the, the players might make choices. I've, I've, um, played in a campaign years ago where um, we had an NPC that was like that who was like kind of this mentor character um, and when the characters were young and you know not ter not terribly powerful and, and eventually they went on to do all these bigger greater things and they went far from home and everything and the character so the NPC just wasn't around anymore even though we all loved the character but we you know as a group found ourselves asking well what would they do nice like, 
like what would what would such and such a character do um or what would they say like you know and sometimes they would bring up like people would be like oh i think so and so would would think this is a terrible idea and we should all be very careful about what we're doing and that has more weight than the player's character saying i think this is a terrible idea because there's a shared experience of like oh this was like this wise mentor who would have counseled against this reckless plan <laughs> um and and that feels real too because people come and go out of your lives it makes it it makes it makes the world feel real oh that that reminds me of another strategy like that you could do make get an, a non-player character to make the pcs promise them to do or not do something oh and yeah then, and then, and then never be around they, anymore yes. and will oh. they will they will they keep their promise without that character looking over their shoulder that's excellent right very 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 fun thing to do (laughs) they will always play it different ways yeah i would i would agree with all of that and i also think if if the npcs have lore that you need to drop you can just move around like jess said they're never gonna know and they'll think they were right the whole time and my last bit of advice and this is something that i stumbled upon accidentally like the guy with the bird on his shoulder is if you if you want them to at least be interested in an npc even if they don't care about them when you first meet them or when you first see them, you give a little bit of mystery. Like this woman is is dressed very, very well, you know, medieval gown and everything, but she has heavily calloused hands. And so they're like, she's a noble woman, but she she works for the hands. What's that about? This this guy, we never see him outside during the day. What's that about? This this other person gets nervous whenever we're around. Why? And it could be nothing. But if they want to, if they want, it's like, but that's one of those things where it's like, it's like this grain of sand in the oyster. It's like, we're always thinking about it. Why are they, they must have a reason for doing these things. And that's how you get the players to be like, I'm going to talk to that lady. I'm going to find out what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, what's she do? And then you can have like, (laughs) I keep thinking of other, other media types that have this kind of similar trope. Um, I think maybe here's a here's a little unorthodox suggestion go play a dating simulator game and check out and then check out what the romanceable options secret twist is because they always have a secret (laughs) twist they they do yeah (laughs) oh man there's so much i like we talked so much more about npcs than we did about lore but like i said i think characters are the most important part of a game i think like they they determine everything else uh yeah and now i want to make some npcs <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of lore a lot of what we said about characters is directly applicable to other things like mm-hmm. locations and organizations and you know uh, uh you know monarchies Villains. or whatever you know governmental aspects like there's there's um you know, think about them in terms of like what those things are like in life and what you've experienced through other media and and kind of create recreate those make them like it's the evil empire is not just the evil empire unless your game is super black and white and it's just that's the evil empire and they need to be stopped well that's fine for a, for a particular type of game but if you're playing a game that's got a little more a little kind of weird nuance and and questioning in it like okay well why are the people who are making decisions over there why are they making those decisions um and and why you know how has that kingdom rose the way it is and why does it con- continue to be that way um well there's also always invariably like a darth vader type like oh this person has a secret connection to one of the players and oh they used to be good and now they're bad like there's always going to be something like that even in a very black and white you can always throw something in there like that throw but those are character based that's character based again so all right ready to talk about some system design sure awesome (laughs) we are talking about how to decide your system and how complex to make the rules oh what a big topic jeff why why'd you okay why'd you pick this one though <laughs> uh, i i don't well because i'm i'm in the middle of designing systems right now and uh so i have i have this uh fantasy heartbreaker game that i've been working on for years and years and years and i have the and which is more numbers and math and rolling dice and discrete things that you pick and add to your character. And then I have my boldly go system, which is 
kind of free form and 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 fady and 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 you roll dice and you do what you feel and it's about what <laughs> what you believe you know and all that other stuff and i've been playing a lot of the fantasy game with my friends and i've been noticing that i don't like it very much <laughs> like i like the world and i like the setting and the characters and what they can do and how everything works but i don't like the mechanics that i've designed and I think that I was like, I, my original goal was this is Jeff's version of D&D because every, I think almost every game designer has that. This is how I'm going to fix D&D because it's bad and I'm going to fix it. And I'm a genius. And then they will throw money at me and it'll be amazing. Um, but over the years, one of the things that I didn't quite realize until actually playing this game with people and going back to it is that my headspace is not in the D&D headspace anymore. I mean, I I play and will play and have enjoyed playing 5th edition and other editions of D&D. Uh, you know, I like I like the high fantasy sling and magic, you know, stab and monsters kind of thing. But when I make a game that's not really what I'm about. Like there's a lot of stuff where it's like if you get to be this point, you get this spell. And if you cast this spell, it does this discrete thing. But if you're more powerful, it does this other thing. And then if you take this other, other thing, and I'm just like, I don't care. I just don't care. It's too complicated. I mean, because when I'm running a game, uh, one of the things that I, I used to get at conventions all the time when it's like, I'm going to run D&D, I would get the feedback back and it's like, GM was very entertaining, did a lot of funny voices, does not know the rules. <laughs> and it was because I'm like, yeah, yeah I don't care. You're, you you run over there and you hit him and it's like, but but my movement action, it's like, doesn't matter. It's <laughs> This is more fun. And that's, so for me, my, where I would land on the, what kind of rules are too complex for a game, it's, I want rules that are there just enough to facilitate telling the story that you want to tell. And that's not to say that there isn't room for games where it's like, we need to know if we're in our spaceship and we have this much fuel and we go this fast, how far do we get? And what happens when we get, you know, like that's fun for me sometimes. And it's fun for a lot of other people, but when I'm telling a story, I'm just like, Nope, I, I just want the bare minimum of framework and we'll just wing the rest of it. And I mean, that's what the indie scene's about. And that's, what's great about it. Cause there's lots <laughs> of ways that people framework, they're winging it. And it's amazing to see all of the different things that go on in people's heads. I think it's interesting and, and a little ironic that people who play those sorts of more bare bones systems, systems that require you to do a little bit more of like the imagination of like, oh, like we could do this for like negotiating at the table. Those tend to be like players who play those games tend to be more experienced players, either in role playing games or in improv in general, like they're they're used to doing this kind of stuff, whereas people who you know, like a lot of people's first systems are things like D&D that have a lot of rules that have like rules for everything and that there is always going to be a rule to fall back on because I think that can be very comforting for a player who doesn't know, not that they don't know how to play, but they're not as comfortable of playing within an imaginative um, negotiated space. They, they need the rules to be there as an arbiter of what they can and cannot do. Um, so I think that's something you should think about as a game designer, who is the audience of your game? Are they going to be the kind of people who are comfortable with, you know, being unsure about what could happen? Do you have a GM who is okay with, or maybe a lack of GM, like, because a, a non, a non GM game, like a game with, with no GM, that's pretty complex in a lot yeah. of different ways, but it's, it's that the complexity is no longer there on the page it's now being lifted into the players' minds. So like, I, I think you have to think about, like, are they coming from D&D? Because if they're coming from D&D, if that's your target audience, they have certain expectations about what a role-playing game is. And now you either need to live up to those expectations or you need to explain why those systems don't exist in your game and what should they do. The more experienced that you believe your players are, the less you have to explain those things. Like, oh yeah, this this rule doesn't exist in the game. Does that mean you can't do this? Well, maybe or maybe not. And you have, 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little complex dance. Yeah. As an indie designer too, like I also want my roles to only be like, okay, I'm only having roles that fit within the theme of my game, fit within the topic of my game. And invariably when I play my games there, the players will do something that's not there in the rules. And I have to like, well, let's figure it out together. Let's figure out what happens. Um, within a Powered by the Apocalypse game like Moonpunk, I mean, there are already, there are like some systems in place that say like, well, here are some of the things you can do and you're always reacting and you're just making these moves and you only use a move when it's applicable, but not, I mean, some players will still be like, but, but what then happens? Oh, I just get to decide. I don't roll for it to decide what happens. That's scary. Uh, that, that's complicated. How do we negotiate that? I guess is my question. <laughs> Yeah. I would like to know as a designer. <laughs> well, I think I think you speaking to um what who who the audience is is um is poignant to this um and the the ultimate question the ultimate answer to that question is uh it's it's whoever is you know who who's going to gravitate to the type of game that you want to make with the the complexity of rules that you want to make and just keep that audience in mind. All the audiences exist. There is an audience for super free form, never roll a die, just exchange tokens, or don't even do that much. You know, there's games that do that. And then there are games where it's super crunchy and there's tons of rules and supplements that add more rules. And your character sheets are four pages long and they look like spreadsheets. Uh, and there are audience audiences for, for that as well and everything in between. Um, and so it's, it's you know, I've, I have found that as a, as a designer that it's, about what do I want to make and being confident that the audience is there for that and just keeping that audience in mind um, and the the overall goals of the system in mind when I'm developing, when I'm, when I'm creating the system. Like, um, you know, the, the roll track system that I developed for Good Strong Hands and have used for a couple of other games since, I had a very specific, like, this is what I want this to be i want it to be just a few traits so it's very simple there's ways to gain or lose dice there's um you've got there's health you characters can potentially die so there's very simple reduction of health kind of stuff um and it's not you know it's not super detailed and you know people don't have 100 hit points and you don't roll a bunch of dice for damage and everything you just kind of tick down a, a checkbox track until you go unconscious or whatever um, and then you've got some special abilities that are like, you either have them or you don't. And there's only like, when you have the special ability, it only works one way. It doesn't get better with, with time. It just, you know, you build versatile characters rather than more powerful characters. If, if you follow that, you're not making, you know, like your spells and abilities aren't getting better and better. You're just getting more of them. And so you have more options, um, but not so many options that it's hard to keep track of. And that's why I, limited myself to you know everything's on one page you've got like two six by nine pages that it's like character stuff on one side and then your abilities are on the other side and everything has a checkbox and you just like as you play that character you start to gain these things and it's all on the page and you don't have to go looking through a book that was the game i wanted to make that was a game that i knew had an audience that you could just like have a one page everything you need to know about your character and their abilities is all right there on those pages and it was done at a time too when the pandemic was happening and i knew this was going to be like you can put your character on on a screen <laughs> and play online right um and you don't have to be flipping through pdfs which you know some people find harder to navigate than flipping paper over on a table and, and flipping through books and so i kept i kept all of those things in mind when i developed the game system um, and whenever something looked like, oh, this is getting more complex. Like I, I found myself at one point early on, it's like, well, do monsters have stat boxes? Does the GM, do, do I want to have the GM roll? I wanted to not have the GM roll dice. I wanted to just the players to roll dice. But I was like, you know, but it's a fantasy game and people play fantasy games and they're kind of expecting the monsters to have attacks. Do I need that? And so I, I you know, I wrestled with that a little bit um, and ultimately went the direction that I did, which was the GM does not roll dice. The the monsters have abilities, but they are they are reactions to being interacted with. When the when the characters go to fight the monster or approach the monster or whatever, the monster may have some abilities that it can use um, just as a reaction to that happening. So there, the GM doesn't even have an initiative in my game. Oh wow! Like the GM does stuff, has the monsters or the environment do things based on what the characters do. If you don't walk over to that ogre over there, it's very possible. It's not even going to come after you because I don't decide that that ogre comes after you from that far away. But if you decide that's an ogre and that thing's going to, you know, wreck a wreck a cornfield and smash a village, 
um, we need to deal with it. And that means talking to it or tricking it or, you know, potentially killing it. Um, then, then, okay. Now when you go over there, well, now the ogre might have an ability that like, if you walk up to it, now it just tries to punt you into next week with its club. Like it's going to, you know, <laughs> like, if that's what the ability is. Right. Um, and, uh, and you, when you fight it, if you, if you fail on your checks, that's where it damages you. So like every time it's, it's all, I, I built the game to be like the players, the players decisions dis- and the characters decisions drive nearly everything. The GM reacts to things. Um, and that's how complex I made the rules because um, I wanted the game to feel like I wanted to have as much of it be in the player's hands as possible. Which can, again, that can be kind of complex for the players like that. That's a lot of decision making on their part, something they might not be used to. Um, Cause I feel like in D and D I'm not as proactive. I am, I am as a player, I am very reactive. Whereas in a game like that, it sounds like the players are very proactive. They are the ones who are driving everything. It's not the GM. Um, and so just because, <laughs> I mean, for me as an indie, as an indie game designer, I feel like that kind of system that you're describing, Craig is less complex because it's less technically it's, it's fewer rules. It's fewer mechanics. But though that decision making is still happening, and we have to be cognizant of that. Yeah, and, it's the, almost... and the right, and the audience is like you said, Jess. Players that are going to take the reins. If if you are pl- used to playing a game where the GM feeds you stuff and you just react to everything they're doing, this you I mean you can kind of play the game that way, but the system is not meant to do it that way. The system is meant for the players to see something that is happening and decide on a course of action and take it, and then the GM reacts to. It players do yeah it's almost like talking about different systems is in a lot of ways it's like exercising different muscles because in 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 D, and i hope it doesn't come off like i'm you know piling on on D. don't, I, don't I worry like about it. it it's fine um they'll survive i know but like there are a lot of rules and i have always found that like it is despite them it being the world's most popular game it's actually very hard to teach people how to play it. But once you learn it or learn enough of it, you're like, okay, I have this framework. I kind of know what I can do. And if I ever get into a situation where I don't know what to do, I can look in this book and the book is going to tell me. The book is going to tell me how all of this works. And I will say that one of the reasons why I designed the games the way that I do is because I, as a player, have a problem with that. Because I'm like, well, can't I use my fireball to melt this ice and let the water go into the village? And it's like, well, no, it's an explosion. And it just does fire damage instantaneously and blah, blah, blah. And like, then you have to get the the GM fiat where it's like, well, do I let him do it because it's cool? Or do I not let him do it because the rules say he can't do it? And if I do it one way one time, I have to do it one, you know. And so I get that problem. But then you get... and. It's not a problem. It's just different. The more freeform game where you say, okay, I only react to you as the GM. You do everything. And then they're like, well, why isn't the ogre attacking us? The ogre is supposed to attack us and then I'm supposed to fight it, right? Well, what, what do I do now? <laughs> and there is no book that tells you like, uh, okay, well, you, or it says you could do whatever you want. And, and here's the, the list of skills. And so I think part of the trick when writing rules and i have this in boldly go uh is like okay so here's kind of how this game works and here's why it works the way it does and like one of the things that boldly go is very very centered and i've probably mentioned this on the podcast before is the players are encouraged to work together because when they all work together they solve the problem and they win and Mm -hmm. so it's like the players are combining all of their abilities together. They get these massive dice pools. They roll, they succeed. And then in the game, I say, that means games working as intended. Good job. It's not about them having too much power or them blowing through every difficulty. It's about teamwork. You did it. And I think if you have, if your what is a role-playing game for your game has a, a little spot that's like, this is my philosophy designing the game. Like if Craig said, and I don't know, you probably do say, I don't want this to be about me spoon feeding you and you just reacting to situations. I want you to grow and explore and make this world your own and 
make decisions that you feel like that matter. And that's a, that's a really different kind of experience from the, I have all of these numbers and they all tell me what to do. And they are the boundaries that I must conform to. And that's fun too, because then I know what the boundaries are and I know what I can do and I can just fireball that guy and it's great. We can call it a day. I, I, I think that having that really strong section, I love a GM section because if you have a GM in your game, you have to train the GM how to run the game because the GM is probably going to be the one that trains the players how to play the game. Mm-hmm. So making sure that you're spelling it out in a way like here, here's what you should be doing. Here's what you shouldn't be doing. Like here's how the game is supposed to work and including your, your design philosophy on that is going to get the GM on board. And once the GM understands, the players will also be able to understand. I think too, like the thing I hear about like D&D players, like I don't want to learn a new system. I'm used to this one. I don't want to play this other one. I, I, I get it. I understand why they feel that way. Mm-hmm. I may disagree with them uh, <laughs> because they don't actually know all of the rules. The book just has all the rules. Their GM probably doesn't know all of the rules. They're probably not actually playing by all of the rules. Um, but the rules are there for them, kind of like a security blanket. You need to tell, tell them like, okay, there are no, there's no security blanket here. If there's not something in the rules, like spell it out for them. If there's not something in the rules, this is how you solve this. You talk about it at your table. The GM makes the decision. Maybe you randomly roll a die and then like, well, here's what happens. You flip a coin, whatever it is. But you should spell that out. Like if this doesn't exist, you have my permission to blah, 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 whatever that right. is. And also on the flip side, keep in mind that if you do have something spelled out in a rule, that is like a barrier for them at that point. Like if for like the fireball rule, the fireball rule says this is what happens. Well, then that's the only thing that will happen that's the rule. So obviously that's what's going to happen. Um, You might need to spell out like, hey, GM or players, like if if you think that this is what should happen within the game, let it happen if that's the kind of game that you're creating. Um, But all of that, I think, I think having, I don't think having a, what is a tabletop role-playing game section is necessary, but I do think, how do we play this game? What is this game like? I think is necessary for a game if of of like a book size if you're doing a one one shot like a one page rpg sorry they're on their own at that point yeah. <laughs> like you have limited <laughs> space uh i don't think it's always necessary but if you do want people to engage with the game in a certain way you have to tell them yeah i will say just just quickly one of my big learning experiences along with that as i was playing blades in the dark a lot a while back which is a great game but i was i was not actually playing it right because blades in the dark rewards you for being reckless and doing dumb stuff and trying things. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to be right. I want to be safe. And I was like, why am I not doing anything? And I reread the book. It's like, because I'm not taking the devil's bargain and I'm not taking the insane risks. And once I realized that that's, that's what the game is about, then it became a lot more fun for me. And so, yeah, just, just basically appendicing what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Having something like that too also gives the players an idea of if they're going to like the game in the first place because maybe they don't want to play a game where they're taking a lot of risks maybe they do want a more calculated careful game mm-hmm. Have, having a section that they can turn to like here is the feel is a good way to sell your book that's a good way to market it and really nailing that down and not making assumptions about what the players will do or won't do within your game i think is is super super important especially as if if you're like us and you've played a lot of games and you have your own assumptions and philosophies on games and you have your own design philosophy, not everybody's like that. Um, not everybody really thinks about those things and that's fine. Um, don't let your assumptions um, ruin the game, for, not ruin the game, but like make it a different experience, make it a disappointing experience for the mm-hmm. players. You don't want them to buy a book and then it turns out they hate it. <laughs> no, no. I mean, if, if they have your book at that point, like, but, but still. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but if it's it's like I I would much rather you play a game that you really enjoy, than than play a game that you don't, because there's a lot of games and and there's one for you, probably more than one. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't feel you have to be explicit in describing how the game is to be played. You can write a few paragraphs that says. 
in this game, the players do ABC and the GM does XYZ. Um, you can be very simple with that. You can be very quick. Say the players control their characters and what they do. They roll dice occasionally, the GM, blah, blah, blah. But you don't have to get super, super detailed. But, you know, I would say, you know, to speaking to Jess's comment about having a GM section that kind of describes how the game should be GM'd. And that will help to tell the GM how the game is to be played as well, because and then they're help they're helping. And you you incorporate this into the players portion of the game as well is, you know, like I'm just found myself thinking as long as we're talking about good, strong hands, I'm looking at like the GM section of it. And it's like like the first part of it talks about. Um, like how to deal with the story, like how, you know, creating stories and everything that has touchstones of types of stories that are similar to this. It talks immediately about player agency and improvisation. Like it puts those up front, says, you know, the players are going to make decisions and they're going to make decisions on the fly sometimes. And then when you get to like the GM section, it talks about like when you call for trade checks, how often you call for trade checks for, you know, for what types of tasks you might call for trade checks and what target and how you set target numbers. Cause the game is not filled with target numbers. Um, like if you have, if you write a game that you can have tables that describe, you know, like it's going to be to do this thing is target number this, to do this thing is target number that um, you can have that. And capers does that. It, it presents that information in a different way. It makes it kind of a hard and fast rule. You're, you're you want to flip this card in order to balance on a, you know, one foot wide beam. Um, whereas uh, Good Strong Hands doesn't. It puts it in the play. It, it talks about how to set those numbers um, because they aren't all over the book. Um, and so the GM knows, okay, I'm going to like everything about the GM section kind of says the players are making choices and doing things. And the GM is then reacting to that. I'm deciding, does this need a trade check? I'm deciding what's that target number going to be to make it, you know, and with advice like, you know, most of the target numbers should be four and five save the sixes the target number six is it's all a d6 system save target number six for when it's really dramatic and big and, and difficult um and just kind of gives that advice and so and and this goes you know to uh systems that exist if you're building a game from a system that already exists that has like an open license that you can build from is knowing what those systems do and the type of play that they um that they foster and that they, that they encourage um and finding the one that works for your game. Do you, if you want to play, if you want to design a game that is about characters that are generally pretty darn competent and that who can fail occasionally, but then have the resources at hand to do something really cool and big when they really, really need it, then fate might be a good game for you mm -hmm. where you can, that's one of the games it does. One of the things that it does, it does pulp style adventure where like you can just kind of cruise along, you can fail, you can have this and that happen. You can help develop things with aspects. Um, and then you've got points that you're earning as you're going. And those points are going to save your butt and allow you to do the, the really awesome stuff at the end. Whereas other games might approach that sort of a situation in a different way. Some gritty games it might be hard to get those things that really are awesome, or you may only be able to do them once per day because you only have one spell at that high level. So you're, you're telling the players and the GM, like, it's going to be rough. A lot of the time, <laughs> you're like you're going to be playing this game. And the idea of the game is to have it be difficult and have it be rough and have your character be worried about dying all the, you know, quite regularly. <laughs> and um, every so often they're going to be able to bust out something super whopping cool. Um, so, uh, you know, it's looking at, yeah, I, I find deciding on a system or developing a system to be incredibly interesting because there's so many different nuances and so many different ways you can play a game. So many different folk, 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 focuses, foci that you can bring into it and the way you want to, to play things and, and how complex you want it to get. And, you know, and what types of things you might leave on the cutting room floor, as it were, you know, if you're, if you're designing a game where, characters aren't going to die and they aren't really even going to get injured do you need hit points or health levels probably not like <laughs> you know even though so many games have them um it's perfectly acceptable to not have them you know most of my little zine games are exactly that like the, the games aren't about the characters being in danger in that way they're about you know the characters are usually in danger of doing something stupid and being embarrassed um and so the mechanics are built around like how can i take advantage of that or how can i reveal that somebody screwed something up or how can i you know gain a point for revealing for for confessing that i gave something i did something stupid or you know whatever and that does require playing the games usually you can't get the feel of how the game is run if you were like adapting a system like you want to adapt a 
Blades in the Dark system without having ever played one, you might be surprised by the um, actual playthrough of the system when when people sit down and play it instead of just read it. Um, and that also is something that you can figure out during your playtesting of your own game too. Like, okay, does this match with how, like, are people engaging with this in the way that I imagined? Or is it completely different? Because if it's completely different, maybe you have to change some stuff up. If it's completely different in a good way, congratulations. But um, you do want to make sure that, like, it is actually playing the way you imagined it to be played. Oh, and this is a note too, for the purposes of um, finding play testers when it comes to that sort of thing, like the, 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 the do the play testers, you know, do they feel like the game is interesting and evocative and are they having fun doing the thing that the game does and that sort of thing is finding play testers that know what they're in for to start with. Like it's, I, I had, I, I mentioned, I've mentioned this before, but I had a group play test, some, uh, some rules for one of the, uh, uh modular add-on bits for murders and acquisitions for my first game where it added like cyber tech and we you know like kind of cool technology it was like make the game near future and have technology and stuff um and they in their feedback it was pretty clear they just wanted to play shadow run um (laughs) (laughs) where they compared they compared everything about my game that wasn't like shadow run um even though it centered around companies and had high technology and you know and cyber tech kind of stuff and I was like, well, clearly you just want to play Shadowrun. <laughs> That's not what this game is. So like, you know, when you're looking for playtesters, when you're describing it to people to to maybe try out or to playtest, like, you know, make it kind of get that point across. I've I've taken to a lot of my playtesters come from people on, on the Discord. And so the way I cover that is I tell them about the game that I'm working on. I start to tell them bits and pieces about what I'm designing so that the people who are at the, on the discord are seeing what the game is kind of going to be. And I don't have to give them a big description of what the game needs to be. I'm, I'm telling them in my kind of blurbs about like what I'm designing. Like I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with like why a character might do this. Well, that thing clearly probably important for my game. You know, the, the players, the, the, the discord members are learning that so that when they volunteer to, to play test their, they're kind of coming into it, knowing kind of where I was going with it. Um, so ultimately, that's uh, that's something to keep in mind for playtesting is making sure that you're not getting a playtest group that clearly just wants to be playing a different game. Like <laughs> they, they should be wanting to try out the thing that you do and be. And this ties back to Jeff, your audience. Like you want them to be the audience for that game. Jeff, you have any final thoughts on the complexity of your system? Not really. I think I think we've covered everything, but I, w- I would definitely say that, yes, playtesting is super important, uh, especially for me. Uh, one of my favorite things to say when I start to playtest something new is this may explode because nothing <laughs> ever goes the way I imagine it going in my head. And in some sometimes that's kind of disastrous and discouraging. But in some ways, it's like, oh, this is a thing I didn't know this was going to do. And that's really cool. And I think. I think playing the game with lots of different people, and I agree with Craig, who know what they're getting into, who aren't expecting something different, who are willing to give you really good, pretty deep, constructive feedback will help you to make something that works for you and for the players that you're looking for to play the game. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, Thanks for having me again. It's always fun. Uh, Where can we find you and your stuff? So uh, once again, I am at uh, JeffQuest, G-E-O-F-F-Q-U-E-S-T dot com. Uh, you can also see uh, Boldly Go, my Star Trek inspired game and all of its related products on drivethrough.com. And depending on when this comes out, I'm doing a Kickstarter now, November 2023, for A Distant Galaxy, which is the same system as Boldly Go, but for that other giant science fiction franchise with the laser swords. What? Which yeah. one? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not at liberty to say. <laughs> There's lawyers after me. <laughs> uh, well, go check that out for sure. That will definitely still be going uh, when we release this. All right. When, when's, when's your Kickstarter? Because your, your Kickstarter ends end November, right? Yeah, December 1st, it ends. There you go. It will Perfect. definitely. So you can find me and my games at wannabegames.com and uh under drive rpg or itch under the same name or you can find me on twitter at at Jaska or the other social medias there except for tiktok which is jess is awful oh <laughs> i'm nerdburger craig on various uh social medias my website is nerdburgergames.com the games are all at drive rpg 
Um, I will be at PAX Unplugged uh, first weekend of December this year. Uh, Nerdburger Games will have a booth, and I will also have people running uh, demos of some of my games anywhere between five and 30 minutes, depending on how much you want to kind of get into. Um, that'll be happening at a, uh, you'll need to find the IGDN, the Indie Game Developer Network booth. We've got a bunch of demo tables that are going to be there. So my booth is in one place, but my demo table is going to be in a different place. So, um, but I'll be able to point you to that if you see me at the booth. Nice. It'll be real nice. fun. Um, yeah, I, I will not be at PAX Unplugged in all likelihood, but my stuff will be there. Um, and you can find the other half of Wannabe Games at that IGDM booth as well. Uh, thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avel by Steph Sachs, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Steph Sachs. And thank all of you for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.